Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. Today, the Canadian Cannabis Study. Vividata has just done a study on cannabis use in Canada, in Canada post-legalization, both use and Canadians' opinions. Of course, Vividata is a valuable tool for us here at Phoenix Group. We use it for uh, understanding how consumers are using media, audience measurements, insights into consumers' habits, our preferences, and our tendencies. So they've come out with a study now uh, with profiles, cannabis use in Canada, uh, our opinions on the use of cannabis, and the overall impact of legalization. And joining me to talk about the study is Rahul Sethi. He is the director of Insights at Vividata and also put this report together. So very excited to be talking to him. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's uh, great to connect with you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, your role at Vividata? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm the director of insights at Vividata, and um, I think I have one of the funnest jobs. Uh, it's, <laughs> so what I, what I get to do is once uh, once we do, you know, so we do survey data. Uh, we're getting into the area of passive measurement and things like that as well. But basically, once uh, data is collected through our different methods of, of uh, surveying and and getting insights from Canadian consumers, um, I get that data. I slog through data, through tables, you know, running reports, um, and and just kind of try to get an idea of what's going on uh, with Canadians in regards to different verticals, different topics. Cannabis, for example, being one of them, um, just to kind of get the story. Um, of what's going on and then I write reports uh, me and my team uh, we do uh, like social media engagement through like sharing some of our insights through social uh, presentations to our different clients and potential new clients and so on really kind of showcasing how our data can be used and and what we know about Canadians through through our research well, we're going to learn a little bit today about Canadians and cannabis because that's what we're talking about. But yeah. I wonder, how would you describe Vividata? Uh, like, what for those who don't know who Vividata is? So, Vividata is like a preeminent market research firm. Uh, what we do is collect data on Canadian consumers in a number of different areas uh, with regards to cross media behavior um, as well as consumption in a number of different product verticals, you know, from like auto to finance to, you know, uh, what kind of toilet paper they're buying to what alcohol <laughs> they drink. Um, like we collect a lot of data in a lot of different areas and probably have one of the largest syndicated studies in the country um, that surveys over 40,000 Canadians 365 days a year. And our core study, which we call Survey of the Canadian Consumer, um, shares data against, like, provides data against, like, 60,000-plus variables. So that's what Vividata does. And we call the or the tagline for Vividata is know your audience because it's a lot of audience measurement, consumer behavior, and things like this against a number of different verticals, psychographics, segmentations, um, and we have another brand, which is actually the custom research arm of Vividata, uh, that's called Vivintel. And Vivintel is actually what the Canadian Cannabis Study came out of. And what Vivintel does is kind of do more bespoke 
custom deep dive research into specific topics and specific areas to get even more granular insights uh, than our survey of the Canadian consumer. So if you can think of the survey of the Canadian consumer, basically trying to capture what Canadians are doing, buying, thinking, what media they're consuming. Um, Vivintel is more so, okay, with regards to a specific category such as cannabis, how much are they spending? Uh, what are their methods of consumption? Where are they getting it? Um, how did they get to wanting to try cannabis? Um, just very detailed, closer, deep dive data is what Vivintel then provides. So did you do a survey prior to legalization? Yes. So uh, Vivintel conducted a pre-legalization study and then a post-legalization study. Uh, The pre-legalization study was done in, uh, I believe, March, February, March of 2018. Mm -hmm. And then the post-legalization study was done this year, uh, March 2019. And so really what we wanted to capture pre-legalization is, you know, how are people consuming and what are their opinions right now? Um, And the post-legalization study kind of uh, continued with that, but again, tried to capture more of the post-legalization purchasing behavior, consumption, opinions, now that uh, cannabis was legalized. So um, what what sentiment did you discover? What have you discovered? It's interesting because you, um, I mean, a lot of people have different theories about what was going to happen. And uh, yeah. uh, be, it's fascinating now to be able to look at it and see what actually did happen. Yes, well, for sure. I mean, with regards to shifting sentiment into uh, like support of legalization, um, in general, support has increased. Um, people are also more likely to be undecided than before, as in moving from the opposing faction to either being undecided or moving into support. And I think um, across Canada, that's the general trend because, you know, once things were legalized, it wasn't like, you know, you didn't, I mean, you didn't see people roaming the streets with bongs in hand. You know <laughs> the what sky I mean? didn't and fall, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sky didn't fall. Everyone was sober when they got to work, uh, you know. So I think that, that, opposing faction who thought like you know people are going to misuse it cannabis is a gateway drug it's going to lead to more harmful use for younger canadians and leading them to try other things um i think what the general perception then was uh, from what we see is okay that didn't happen so maybe this isn't that bad and the government seems to be doing a fairly good job of controlling things mm-hmm. um and so I think that's kind of led to uh, shifting into more Canadians supporting legalization in general. What we did see, which was interesting from pre-legalization to post-legalization, is that, I mean, it's no surprise that pre-legalization British Columbians were the strongest supporters mm-hmm. of legalization of cannabis. But... Post-legalization, they didn't become the strongest in opposition, but support did drop quite a bit. Um, And I think that probably had to do more so with the rollout of cannabis. Okay. You know, for for example, like, you know, there were retail shortages. People who were previously getting a consistent supply of, let's say, like their medical cannabis um, were now being told by some of their LPs that, yeah, we're experiencing a shortage. We can't provide it to you just yet. You know, so 
it's almost like for certain people it became a little bit more difficult mm. um, to now get at that, now get the cannabis that they were used to getting. Um, and I think those kind of things kind of contributed to British Columbians saying, hey, well, it seems to be harder, more of a struggle for me to get it now. Whereas before, even though it was illegal, I had my regular sources, you know? Yeah. So we saw, uh, yeah. So did that, um, did, uh, did that surprise you? Uh, it didn't surprise me once we started to see like, like, so I would keep up with what was going on in the news because, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. helps advise as to if the data that I'm seeing is making sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd see headlines, you'd see the lineups, you'd hear about the shortages, even for example, certain LPs were, uh, I was finding out were, uh, sending out, uh, letters to their existing clients after legalization communicating about the shortages and such like and things like this um so after seeing some of those headlines i was interested in seeing what the data would present as we were collecting it and so once the data came in um i was surprised to see that the the opposition or sorry the support dropped more so in british columbia yeah but i think it made sense because british columbians as as we tend to know as Canadians, uh, are more more avid users and it's more readily available uh, within that market. Yeah, so the availability, even cost, might have come into kind of like, it uh, wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and then cost was the other thing as well, right? Like, I mean, if someone was used to paying, you know, just $10 a gram or less, um, now it was a little higher and you had to pay potentially different prices for a strain. You had tax on top of it. So I think that also kind of Mm -hmm. um, made some Canadians go or like people in, let's say in British Columbia go like, this isn't as good as we thought it would be. Now I've heard the experience across Canada hasn't been like, it's not universal. Of course, every province having their own kind of um, uh, methods of distribution. Um, Did that come into play at all or did you, because I see from the report that the prairies, for instance, uh, support also dropped. Yes, prairie support also dropped slightly. I think that has to potentially do with like the proximity to British Columbia, but also uh, I think there are just general shortages in the prairies as well Mm -hmm. and difficulties in finding retail locations um, or maybe like they they were a little bit more spread out. Right. So it wasn't as easy because the retail rollout was a little bit of a of a fumble. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in Ontario, for example, we're at Bay and Bloor in Ontario, uh, our office, and we've had a fire and flower location um, that has had their signage up and everything for months now. Uh, but they're they haven't yet opened. OK. Right. Yeah. And like so they're still, for example, waiting for their license. And I think certain in certain jurisdictions where those licenses weren't coming in when expected um, affected Canadians because they're like, you know, I thought I would be able to go here and get it, but the store is there, the branding is there, but I can't go in yet because they're not yet open. Yeah. And anecdotally, I think from, well, my friends, I don't know if that's a good gauge, a bunch of older people, but um, it hasn't been prolific. Like you haven't seen this incredible sway towards cannabis. And has that, has, did did the survey see anything about um, usage and and, um, how that, if that's grown or how that's grown? 
Yeah, so usage didn't grow uh, drastically as as people were saying it would. I think part of that has to do with also when we surveyed pre-legalization, um, what we found was uh, a lot of a lot of Canadians that said, you know, I'm not currently using it. Some of them had used it in the past, but they weren't using it anymore. But they were showing potential to consume it after legalization, mm-hmm. saying that their most preferred method would be something like an edible. Right. Mm, yeah. So really what we were seeing was, um, and, it, and it makes sense, you know, they were looking for the easiest barrier of entry. Right. And edible is one of those things like, you know, with a with a butter or flour. OK, I have to figure out how to break it up, roll it. And then, you know, how do I smoke it if I'm not a smoker? Um, but with an edible, OK, like I know I know how food works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I it's easier for me to consume. It's easier for me to understand. Uh, and it looks like the government would be doing a good job as to providing uh, certain rules and regulations as to how much THC can be within edibles and so on. So like that, I think that was an easier barrier of entry for potential consumers. But now edibles is not legalized until October. I mean, if everything goes as, as the government says it will, um, it's not going to be legalized in October until October. And then it's not going to hit shelves um, until December. And even that's going to be very controlled. Right. So I think what we will likely see, and we're going to do another study as well, because this is going to be an inaugural study that we do, as we've been tell, is I think after edibles is legalized, we'll probably see a jump um, in consumption for those who are waiting for that legal edible availability, right? Um, yeah. Is that easier for entry? Yeah, for sure. It, it's it's probably a little bit more discreet and socially acceptable, I guess. Smoking now is it's it's a challenge. Yeah. So yeah. So and what was so, I was, was going to say? We didn't all, all just rush in and uh, start smoking marijuana. As that didn't happen, and that was, I guess, one of the no. big, big concerns that some people had. Yeah, and and um, actually looking at what some other countries were saying as well, like you know, uh, media in other countries as well as our own media, uh, there was a lot of um, uh, commentary on like you know the government's generally. I know things have been bumpy, uh, but uh, the government of Canada has been doing a generally good job of of making sure that cannabis does roll out in a way that it doesn't become like this crazy thing where people are just consuming it everywhere and it's available everywhere and all kinds of products are available but making sure that it comes out in a way that it's it's safe for canadians um and and fairly controlled and regulated so there is a lot of um positive commentary on on how things are going in terms of regulating it i mean but you always as with anything you see both factions as well you know like you have uh, lp saying like you know let's not control the amount of THC at such a restrictive level. So you always have uh, have both sides. Yeah. Now, um, a lot of stores, uh, a lot of what we're hearing is people are selling and the, it is hard to get. So obviously, whatever is being produced is being sold. Has has it changed kind of how we've how people have purchased marijuana? Uh, yeah, I mean, with regard to, I think, the potential user um, category is kind of really interesting in that, you know, so I was saying how pre-legalization um, potential users are saying, you know, I'm going to use it as an edible. And that was like the number one choice. Um, but post-legalization, what we saw was those who said they're going to consume and actually ended up consuming um, concentrates was 
their number one category. Oh, okay. Right. And I think that's also because, you know, and, and actually edibles was the second category. So concentrates because it was legal. Like, you know, you can get your oils, you can get your CBD oil, you can get a pill and so on. So they were going into that area because, again, easier barrier of entry mm-hmm. than, than getting a butter or flour. And then, so that was number one. Edibles was number two. So they're either making their own homemade or maybe getting it through legitimate, legitimate means. Right. And then their, their third choice was pre-rolls. Um, and that was interesting to see jump up. Uh, and also, I think that's the whole barrier of entry option because pre-rolls is already done for you. Um, you can, the, there's more opportunities for uh, like different packaging and things like that. Um, and so that became like number three and vape was number four, again, easier barrier of entry. And we saw, we saw button flower with potential users just kind of drop down versus current consumers still prefer the bud and the flower, you know, for those who've been using it, that's still their number one choice. And have so pe- really what you see is more of a change in those potential users. Right. Yeah. And have, have people converted from the, I guess, black market to the legal market? Yeah, somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, what we found was like, with regard to those who said, yeah, they're, they, they consume cannabis, 53% actually said they are purchasing it through legal means. Um, and 38% uh, said they're still getting it from their black market, uh, from black market sources. Mm-hmm. So with regard to legal sources, uh, in store was number one. So of the 53%, 55% said I get it in store. 46% said I get it online. Um, and then there's also medical providers and very few were actually growing it at home. And I think that was one of the other concerns that oh, a lot of people yeah. in opposition were saying, well, like everyone's going to grow it because right. growth is, uh, yeah, yeah, and and that's actually not the case. Like a lot of people aren't doing homegrown, but black market sources. Yeah, thirty eight percent of consumers said they they got it from the black market, and their number one um, uh, provider with regard to black market was identified as a quote unquote friend. <laughs> um, you know, and that was that was uh, yeah fifty nine percent of those who got it from a black market said I got it from a friend. We also asked if they got it from a dealer. Um, and 32% of those black market purchasers said they got it from a dealer. And what's interesting, actually, so dispensaries, um, certain dispensaries were probably not licensed. And we did see that some black market purchasers said, I also got it from a private dispensary, probably an unlicensed dispensary that was selling it even maybe pre-legalization, like under the table. Oh, yeah. um, so they were getting it there as well. But very few buying through illegitimate online means and which is also available. no go ahead what uh, which was also available like even i was uh we were doing a lot of our own like um just anecdotal research and finding websites um that were selling edibles before and edibles is still again not legal mm-hmm. yeah. and and have people um how has how has the take-up been on growing marijuana yourselves or people having their own plants at home yeah, it's not it's not that um, that pronounced. So of of so, homegrown is one of like the legal options for mm-hmm. Canadians. Um, of those, so fifty three percent said, you know, I got it through legal means. Only six percent of that legal profile said uh, they're growing it at home. You know, so they have their own homegrown source. 
Now, Quebec is it's it's not legal to do homegrown, so it is it is um, a form of a legitimate a legitimate access to cannabis. But outside of Quebec, yeah, it was that six percent of legal consumers? So not not so huge. So, do you think um, as we move forward uh, in your in in your opinions, do you think that um, this is going to be become more acceptable like has has our i guess opinion of marijuana t- tapered off and softened at all in canada oh yeah and actually we saw that too um through through the study so one of our questions or areas of coverage was that social acceptability mm-hmm. and we looked at it pre-legalization and post-legalization and what we did see was there's also a shifting sentiment with regard to acceptability so pre-legalization and we compared this to also tobacco to kind of get like you know a little bit of benchmark mm-hmm. um and we saw that pre-legalization 43 percent of canadians said that it was socially acceptable 40 percent said that it wasn't socially acceptable and 17 percent said they were undecided right so almost an even even split between socially acceptable to unacceptable yeah now post-legalization that shifted to 46% of Canadians saying, yes, cannabis is socially acceptable, and the 40% of the unacceptable dropped to 31%. Oh, wow. And we saw, we saw a growth in uh, those who uh, are undecided to 23% from 17 So we do see um, like a shift going from those who are that unacceptable f- a faction to either being undecided or saying now yeah i support it or maybe those who were undecided before are saying okay now i know more mm-hmm. um things aren't crazy uh, and yeah i think it is socially acceptable it's not that bad mm-hmm. whereas tobacco interestingly uh social acceptability dropped drastically uh post-legalization oh so what was 40 percent said Tobacco was socially acceptable pre-legalization. That dropped to 25% post-legalization. And those who um, were in the unacceptable faction said from 50% pre-legalization uh, went up to 60% post-legalization. So a lot of people saying that tobacco is, I think, now socially unacceptable. But, it, but uh, through doing some digging, well, we also found that um, the federal government is... Uh, when they did their own study in terms of um, uh, tobacco use across Canada, uh, they found that smoking had increased, right, to 16% from like uh, 13% two years earlier um, among those aged 25 plus. So really Health Canada had is putting in this initiative uh, and this was since I think 2017 is putting in this initiative to bring down smoking in Canada, and they want to get that down to about five percent, mm-hmm. you know, or less than five percent. So that's where I think you see a lot more like anti-smoking. And you see this in like out of, out of home advertising, yeah, like the anti-smoking campaigns um, here in Toronto, uh, in the TTC. I think just in the like last week or two weeks ago, um, there was this big campaign um, from Health Canada with regard to even like vaping, right? So anti-vape um, to really bring, I think that, because uh, those who are younger are more likely to use vapes, right? Mm-hmm. For their tobacco consumption. So to even bring down that vape usage uh, among Canadians. So I think that also has a, 
uh, a role to play in in the uh, reduction of tobacco use and the, and making it more socially unacceptable. When you um, when you look at that uh, the survey and the, the or the study that you you've done, what um, w- what surprised you, or did anything strike you as as super surprising out of where we've been and where we are? I think one of the things that were was really interesting is is that like how many products? Um, I mean, okay, so we have this picture. <laughs> of uh, through the movies we've seen you know uh of you know cannabis and munchies right so you're like okay yeah people people who consume cannabis they're they're gonna eat more you know and so they're probably gonna be buying like snacks and things like that so because one of our question was you know how does your consumption of cannabis impact the consumption of other products Mm -hmm. um and so i mean there was a definitely an increase in those who said um like you know i use cannabis and i tend to also consume more like salty snacks, chocolate, fast food, and so on. Um, and, but what was crazy was those who say they're consuming cannabis showed a lot of decrease in consumption of pain medication oh. or other medication. So what they were saying, what Canadians are saying is because of my use of cannabis, I'm really reducing my use of pain and medication and even even alcohol to some extent. Not not crazy huge, but definitely pain and other medication was uh, uh, was showing less consumption due to cannabis consumption. Was right? that was that one of the big motivations for people to to use cannabis? I believe so, because what we also looked at was um, people who were using cannabis as a remedy treatment or therapy so what was motivating them to to use cannabis mm-hmm. uh, with regard to you know those who are say they're currently using it and 44 41% of uh, those users said yeah I use it as a remedy treatment or therapy and what was interesting is is actually a vast majority of those who say they're using cannabis as a remedy treatment or therapy didn't get a prescription for it right mm-hmm. and that was Pretty much like uh, I think three fourths of users, right? Three out of four remedy treatment therapy users didn't get um, a prescription. Mm-hmm. So I think what that's what that's showing us is there's a lot of Canadian self prescribing, right? Mm-hmm. So so that was really interesting to see. And what we do see now, like, um, is certain organizations or certain companies popping up. Uh, that are trying to make it easier for Canadians to get prescriptions. So I'm interested in seeing what the market will look like, um, you know, like next year, as if uh, those who are using cannabis as a remedy treatment or therapy are now getting prescriptions through, you know, nurses, not necessarily just their doctor, uh, but nurse practitioners who've kind of come together and created an organization to make it easier for Canadians to get a prescription and they don't need to see their general practitioner, um, if that actually affects how many people are, are getting um, medical advice rather than saying, you know, I'm going to try this to treat my back pain or my insomnia um, because, you know, things that I'm reading online or seeing in the news say that it can help me. Uh, and so really seeing if they're consulting a medical professional or just self-prescribing because that seems to be going on quite a bit right now. 
Yeah, it's not hard to find articles or stories about um, those sort of positive uh, effects or positive uses. It'll, yeah, it will be fascinating to see if you know how that how that grows and whether how much word of mouth you know others encouraging friends and family to give it a shot and give it a try. It's worked for me or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that seems to be going on in the market. Like um, with regard to also looking at. Um, for example, as a, as, as a, you know, sources of information on, uh, you know, should I use cannabis or not? Uh, what we also saw was those who are uh, currently using it actually rely most on, uh, websites and other cannabis users, uh, with regards to advice of, you know, what product should they try or getting more information around what CBD does versus what THC does. Um, whereas those who don't use it are more likely to rely on like traditional media for information. Um, so it is, there's, there's a lot of that word of mouth. Uh, what are people saying online um, play with regards to people deciding what to use, what not you what not to use if they should use it, if they're considering it. And uh, did you look into at all where those where where they're turning online to get that sort of advice? Yeah, generally, with regard to current users, uh, they're going to just websites, you know, different websites, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, a retailer's websites or a news media who might be providing coverage for it. Um, a lot of current users, 48% of them, so nearly one in two, are saying that I'd go to another cannabis user uh, or I do go to another cannabis user to get informed um, or get information on cannabis. And search engines tend to be like number one for users, or sorry, not number one, number one for non-users, right? So those who aren't using really are searching online and kind of seeing what comes up and what answers uh, they're provided, or even government websites. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Are there, um, do you see any um, opportunities other than, I guess, if you're Doritos? (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of a lot of brands, um, definitely in the in the health and wellness space. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the areas we covered was, you know, if um, if a well-known brand launched a product containing cannabis would your perception of that brand change. So, mm-hmm. for example, would it be positive? Would it not change? Would it would it be negative? Um, and. With regard to different categories like, you know, health and wellness, like alcohol, beverages, packaged food, cosmetics, um, we saw health and with regard to health and wellness would um, show more positive perception than the other categories. Right. Which which makes sense. I mean, there's clear benefits to CBD use um, and THC. Um, So cannabis and the health and wellness space seem to go very well together. And I think LPs know that, and a lot of LPs know that, and they're playing on that fact. Um, another area of, of opportunity, I think, is packaged foods because of that uh, edibles play, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, in small doses, potentially for some of the major brands, I think they ha- still do have the opportunity of maintaining positive perception. But there is a faction of, of Canadians who are like, you know, my perception would be negative. So the rollout of of cannabis infused products in different categories, say for something like packaged foods, I think needs to be really controlled, right? Mm-hmm. Um, assuring quality, assuring safety, perhaps 
creating a, a sub brand that's very disconnected from the well-known brand that has that you know the family feel family vibe family product like that disconnect will kind of need to be clear as well as that quality assurance and and just safety of the product uh to to have a positive embrace among canadians and not to affect yeah the the parent company you know Mm -hmm. cosmetics cosmetics has a huge opportunity i mean there's Tons of benefits to CBD oils, even in terms of like you know applying to the skin, uh, personal care, and so on. Um, I think there is, and what we saw was actually negative perception would be most uh, if a restaurant got into the cannabis space, right? So that was forty-five percent Canadian said, yeah, if a restaurant launched a cannabis-infused product, um, yeah, my perception would be negative of that brand. Oh, fascinating! I wonder why that would be. I think there's a there because there's that uh, that idea that I might I believe uh, if I go to a restaurant right um, I'm going to go try a certain food I'm not interested in the cannabis but it's all kind of made in the same kitchen uh, yeah you know maybe there's that opportunity for cross contamination when I didn't really want it mm-hmm. you know whereas with something like a packaged food the facility probably is very different like you know manufacturing this facility that's creating these products that have cannabis is probably different from another one, like different building. Yeah. Um, maybe even the patrons would be uh, something that you'd, you'd sort of uh, think, Oh, well, everyone's there is going to be, you know, uh, yeah. High. high end. <laughs> I yeah. don't want to hang out with that group or something. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. You know, so there's, so yeah, the restaurant, the restaurant side is going to have, uh, have difficulty uh, with this, but I think again, it's, it's really like, if that's the but if that's the type of consumer you want to reach, then you know that's like your target market, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so it shouldn't be that much of a challenge. I mean, we've had we've seen restaurants exist for quite some time that are distinctly targeted to um, cannabis users, Absolutely. like the Hotbox Cafe, for example, in Toronto, has been around for for decades. You know, that's in Kensington Market in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all so fascinating, and uh, um, and I'm and I'm sure we've just touched on on the report, Rahul. Where where could people find out more, or how do we get access to the report? Um, so you can go to vividdata.ca, um, and under shop reports, uh, we have all the different reports available that we're doing. Um, so the pre-legalization cannabis report is available there, as well as the post-legalization cannabis report. Um, we've also done uh, research in terms of uh, the, st- uh, the sports space and the esports, which is another crazy market emerging um, in in Canada or globally, I should say. But it's really interesting to, as as Vivintel Vividata, to be able to dive into the Canadian um, uh, esports market. So that's something that's all av- also available in the in the website under our reports section. Excellent. Thank you so much for, for uh, spending some time and uh, sharing the insights that you've learned with us. How could people get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out to you? Uh, they can email me directly, um, rahul at vividata.ca, um, as well as just going to our website. We, we also do quite a lot on social media, so following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, and reaching out to, through, uh, to us through social as well, where, where they're constantly sharing insights. Wonderful. Well, I'll put all those on the show notes and thank you again so much. Thank you. Thank you, David. It was great talking to you.